No matter what investment strategy you apply to the market, your strategy or approach needs to evolve over time. The way we did trend following back in the 1970s, 80s or 90s is not exactly the way we do it today. And I think this can be said about most, if not all, strategies. Now, with some strategies, I think there is a bigger need for evolution, where the model decay is so rapid that if you don't adapt quickly, you lose your edge. I think shorter-term strategies are a good example of this. When it comes to trend following being a longer-term strategy, there is, in my opinion, a slower pace when it comes to model decay. So you need to have been around for a really long time in order to have witnessed this evolution. And so when I look through my list of guests to pull a few golden nuggets from on this theme, I thought that Marty Luig, the co-founder of AHL and Aspect Capital, would be the perfect person for this. So sit back and relax and enjoy these unique takeaways from my conversation with Marty. And if you would like to hear the full conversation, and I hope you do, just go to toptradersonplug.com forward slash 37 and also forward slash 38. What has been the biggest changes over time and, and, and or, or is it really small incremental changes or is there something where you look back and, and, and you say, oh, in the last 15 years, um, you know, 2008 or 2009 or whatever it might be, um, you know, we did actually discover something that we would say was a, that was a big upgrade or that was a big find, key finding. I, I will highlight, by and large, it, it is very much an incremental process. Sure. And, and, and we, make, we make a virtue of that because, sure. you know, you, you don't want, the last thing we want to do, especially with our, uh, um, uh, our focus on, you know, institutional investors and a high level of transparency, the last thing you want to do is to surprise sure. an investor. Um, but with the benefit of hindsight, I highlight two particular features about the, the evolution of the approach. Mm-hmm. Um, the first, in, a, in an odd way, um, the first, Niels, is, is the prevalent, is the importance of risk management and portfolio construction. Right. Because I think this is something that, you know, investors and maybe, uh, you know, uh, managers that haven't been doing it for that long may underestimate the importance of this in the process. And again, I'm saying this because I did. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, you know, y- y- after all of that, the shenanigans of, uh, of looking at um, uh, uh, chartism and distilling it down into some, some fundamental technical models, you come up with a pretty robust, diversified set of, of medium-term trend-following models, or mm. we did anyway. Mm. And, um, and the neat thing in the... 80s was that the, the range of markets that had sprung up around us, Nils, afforded us a level of diversification that essentially the, the combination of trend following across that range of markets, it risk managed itself. Mm. You know, you didn't have sure. correlated risk shocks. You didn't have, you know, the, there was enough intrinsic diversification that if one sector was was melting down, you'd have opportunities in, in another sector. So risk management, you know, I couldn't spell risk sure. um, at, at, at the time. Then a couple of things happen. You know, first of all, I, I'm going to foreshorten this, but, uh, you know, you got to an era where 
I think that some of those trend-following models became less efficient. You mm -hmm. got to an era where markets did become more homogenous. So right. there was bo there's both a, a sort of macro effect as your pension fund manager in Japan be begins to hold a similar-looking portfolio to your pension fund manager in Sacramento, mm -hmm. whereas, you know, once upon a time they didn't. It was much sure. more parochial. So you begin to get a greater, you know, coherence of, of, of both investor holdings and then also with the advent of, of VAR metrics uh, and that approach to risk management, you also got a sort of more correlated response to events so mm. that everyone around the world who thought they were doing independent things would react in the same way to, to an event. So in response to those kind of increasing correlations in the markets and increasing propensity for shock effects, uh, we both aspect and and as an industry began to look for sources of diversification. And once you start to diversify, obviously markets is, is one axis and timescales is another. But once you start putting in other models, then how you bind them together and what admixture becomes super, super, super important. And, mm. and I'm sure, yeah, you know, I'm sure this is kind of obvious, but, you know, it's been an area that we've focused a lot on how do you put them together carefully how do you make sure you constrain because you know just the simple thought experiment if i take two models which have you know no um you know zero correlation between them sure. and i uh, leverage them up to achieve the same standard deviation of returns as one model on its own um well hurrah i've just improved my returns but i've also let the kurtosis creep out so mm. you, you know it becomes increasingly important as you make the portfolio more complex that you deal explicitly with all of the edge cases, the risk management ed edge cases. Mm. And that's actually stood us in good stead as the markets have gone really, um, you know, into into strange places since since 2009. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and since you mentioned that, what, what have you learned in this uh, last few years in terms of of um, trading and systematic models and 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 how the environment plays such a key role uh in in all of this um um i'm, I'm making a note to come back to a question you asked sure, earlier but, sure. but so one you know oh gosh in in this in this environment has has had a Oh, we could spend another another session talking about this because uh, so clearly in a period of underperformance for the strategy, sure. you know, we can it's human nature. Why is it underperforming? What's mm. going wrong here? Ah, you know, I, I I invested in you, Marty, because I saw your 2008 performance. What mm. what are you doing? You know, um, <laughs> and and is that. Um, you know, it, are you have you all saturated the markets? Have market dynamics changed? Has trend following stopped working? You know, it's again. all of those questions. Yeah. Uh, again, and and you just hit the nail on the head. So <laughs> you know, I I don't want to appear glib. So sure. of course we investigate all of those things. We look at you know both our our market footprint and what we think is the the footprint of our entire industry to satisfy ourselves that we're not, you know, this isn't shooting ourselves in the foot that's mm. happened here. Um, we look at the low volatility environment and what that is likely to do to both the opportunity set and to the risk management challenge. Mm. And it's really, you know, it's been a trying time, but then 
I'm, I, I guess in one sense, I'm fortunate or, or cursed sure. with ha having lived through, a, you know, periods like this before. So, Absolutely. you know, after, after 1987, a lot of parallels. There was, you know, there was a, a, a great, after the, the uh, September, cra uh, October crash of sure. 87, there was a huge run up. Managed Futures delivered its, what do we call it these days? What's this, this month's Protection? Expression? I don't know. <laughs> crisis Alpha. Crisis, crisis alpha. alpha, that's right, yes. Yeah, well, we delivered our Crisis Alpha and it went roaring uh, profitable into to 1988 and then basically hit the doldrums. Mm. And, you know, the analogies um, between then and now in terms of gosh recession bank savings and loans crisis remember sure. that one yeah um government intervention managing the yield curve uh, uh suppression of sort of risk appetite a lot of similarities mm. and and even you've got to dig at scratch a little bit at the hl track record but it took from the high in the middle of 1988 mm -hmm. i don't think i don't until about sometime in either 93 or 94. Yeah. And it was, it was, so it was a similar length to the, the doldrums sure. that we've been in here. Um, it was, uh, it, it actually didn't end neatly. It wasn't just a sort of pleasant recovery of, of uh, favorable returns. I think we had, an, you know, just when you thought things were getting better, we got <laughs> kicked in the teeth by a surprise rate hike in 94. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that sort of presaged, it, it almost felt like the tubes had been cleared, The mar you know, and, and the starting gun went off and, and the markets returned, if you will, to some sense of normality, whatever, you, 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 you know, your, your impression of normality sure. is. And there was a great run of performance. Now, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not predicting that, but sure. what I'm saying is that I draw comfort from having been through it before, um, that actually, provided the models are able to adapt yes. to the fact that no two days, you know, are going to be the same. And, and you know that's the beauty of, of what, what we do because it's not scenario specific. So the, the models can adapt to whatever the markets uh, present, num number one. Um, you, you know, it, it does speak to the uh, persistence and, um, you know, having, having confidence in, in the approach. Mm -hmm. And I think, I mean, I think the other thing that people should do uh, if all the, if they want to sort of satisfy themselves about you know why these strategies shouldn't actually make money in environment in, in in environment we've just been through is just look at the price range compression that we've seen because just looking at what's the high and the low been for the last sort of on a rolling three or six months basis it is so clear what happens to the prices uh you know a few years back and and when you do trade momentum um and and the price ranges compress as they yep. have done it's very easy to visually see um that we shouldn't be making money yet it is so difficult for investors to accept that and what i think is even more interesting is that now that we've seen a lot in the news uh, recently and and in the last sort of years uh, about you know trend following not working and all of these things that normally pops up a lot of the uh, longer term maybe 
uh, trend-following strategies, um, they're all calling back to all-time highs again. But yep. people are not noticing it. They're just obviously focusing on on when things are not working, but they're not really focusing on the fact <laughs> that we're now back to all-time highs. And I think you guys are as well, and and many people. So it, it's very interesting, and I completely agree with everything you said. So um, so so that's true. And and, and Niels, the, the 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 thread that I I forgot sure. was just yeah. you know it, it reconfirmed my belief that um you know uh, that a systematic approach is. I mean, horses for courses, sure. and there there are some great macro traders. But I can tell you, I'm glad I do what I do rather than yeah. being a macro trader because you know, how many times do you think folks have said, "Well, yields can't go any lower than this." <laughs> One part, I think many people think of trend following as, okay, but you, you, you get your signal to buy or to sell and then you follow uh, along for, for the ride and, and, and you have some kind of uh, position size algorithm. But when I listen to what you're explaining, um, I think what you're actually saying more is that since you have smoothed out this process and I'm not looking at it as a black and white concept, um, It, it probably the position size is more maybe a ref reflection of the strength of the signal because the more um, confirmation you get, the bigger you will build your position and so on and so forth. Um, but in my mind, I think a lot of the secret to success of trend following is not so much actually where, where we buy and where we sell. Are we a day late or a day early? A lot of it is really the, the, the risk management and thereby the position sizing itself. That That's a big part of the secret source to the success or uh, the robustness of trend following. H how do you view that? I, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. There, there's, you know, it's what we do is a holistic challenge you can mm. you can you can get overly focused on the you know an an individual uh, trend following model at an individual time scale but it's the combination of all of the pieces put together mm. and the combination of all of the markets put together and how you risk manage the whole that determines obviously your your end performance mm. i'd make two observations the first is that the positions that we hold are yes a function of signal strength and conviction sure. but th that as you would expect would be modulated by w what you perceive as the risk of, mm. of the market so for a given signal strength if i see the volatility of a market uh which is a cipher mm. for risk if you sure. will uh if you see that say double i will effectively have of my position to maintain the same risk for yes. that given signal strength, point sure. one. Point two is that, you know, it's not an inexorable line. The stronger the, the, the trend, the bigger position I'll put on, because as you can imagine, Niels, that way lies madness. So sure. there's a, you know, knowing effectively when to back off and perhaps when to be a provider of liquidity to the markets rather sure. than a, uh, an, a, you know, a consumer of liquidity. That's another delicate um feature of mm. of of what we do yeah so in effect um just to make clear to the listeners you're not actually using a stop loss per se because it comes automatically as the strength of the signal changes your position changes along with it that that's exactly right so it's a it's a gradually uh, modulating signal um and the, the other thing that i i 
really like about what it is we do. And obviously, we spent time researching super fast, you know, intraday models and da 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 da. And yeah. and and there's there's utility in those, and some people do them very well. But sure. one of the things I like to stress for an institutional investor um, is the intuitive qualities of medium-term trend following. And the way, uh, what I mean by that, Niels, is that, you know, if you read the Financial Times or mm. the Wall Street Journal or, or you know, your local financial newspaper and you follow roughly what's going on in global markets, then mm. you will have a good intuitive sense of the positions that we hold. Mm. So, that obviously, you know, the, the, the detail and the complexity of exactly the position size that we hold, which, as you've said, is a function of signal strength, volatility, um, you know, where you are in the development of, of, of that trend, portfolio construction, risk management, are you up against any exposure constraints? All of those pieces, holistic challenge, very complex. Mm. But by and large, if you stand back just a short way and look at the ebb and flow at yeah. the, the dynamics of how that portfolio is moving from day to day, it's very intuitive. And sure. you, will, you, you can broadly, as an institutional investor, understand why a trend-following portfolio makes and loses money when it does. Which has always actually puzzled me because people often criticize um, you know, what we do from saying that it's complex, it's difficult to understand. And I'm just puzzled about this because it's really not that difficult to to understand that when something goes up you buy because you think it's going higher and if it goes down you sell because you think it's going lower compared to you know uh, a fixed income arbitrage or, or whatever they call uh, yep, these yep. strategies um, yet people seem to love those strategies more maybe we have time to talk about that more from a philosophical point of view later on um, <laughs> I wanted to ask you just a final point maybe uh, about the program itself um, and that is and, and and going back to research a little bit here how much research do you actually need to do to overcome or to improve efficient execution so to speak is is that a big part of research when you get to your size to to make sure you you can continue to grow and 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 have efficient execution yes um, well so as as a research team, we uh, you know we look at the problem of of continuing to evolve and develop the program. We 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 break it down into the you know the core diversif uh, the sorry the core trend following sure. components, the um, diversifying uh, modulating strategies, the portfolio construction and risk management piece, and then execution. Mm. And and by and large, there is always someone working on something in in each of those areas um, and you know over the sweep of time we will have periods of, of more concentration in one area than in in others so mm. uh, so it's a bit of an ebb and flow so sure. about four years ago we embarked on the on the transition to a, a wholly uh, box to box so you know if, if you look at the sweep of of uh, evolution of, of execution back mm. in the good old days of of where we would trade binary mm -hmm. in big in big clips sure. and we and we had to get it down to an open outcry market well our our execution research in those days Niels was to go to Chicago <laughs> and meet the biggest <laughs> and baddest floor brokers yeah. and you'd you'd hire them because they they <laughs> got to the front of the pack sure. um, 
Uh, and then, you, you know, so over time, markets have become more electronic and we've that that's uh, that's played into, you know, the, the technology led led firms uh, and then actually t- taking the leap to a predominantly box-to-box world, albeit, you know, monitored carefully, um, that has been an enormous commitment of research effort and and investment. Um, It requires an ongoing monitoring. I I, I would stress that, you know, we don't do HFT, so it's not, we're not going head-to-head with Sort of an HFT sure, firm sure. where the al- where you're swapping out algos every few minutes or every few hours. Sure. Um, we have a, a suite of uh, execution algorithms which are generally fit for purpose. We uh, ensure that they are correctly parameterized for the liquidity, you know, for the character. You know, you mar- markets change their characteristics what's sure. the sort of resting uh, bid offer spread what are the, the the typical clip sizes that people are are, are making available those are um, characteristics of, of markets that we need to review and reparameterize on on a regular basis and obviously monitor if they're changing more rapidly than we'd expect mm-hmm. so it's an ongoing monitoring effort uh, um, I think because we're not slamming the markets with the um, with uh, you know very fast models, um, you, you know our, our execution algos are, are are predominantly looking to make us. I'd love to say invisible, but certainly to ob- ob- obfuscate what we sure. do and and to capture, if you will, a patient's premium. We're not in a hurry to get our business done, sure. but but uh, it's an ongoing effort. Yeah, absolutely. That's it for now. And remember, if you want to listen to the full conversation with Marty, please go to toptradersonplug.com forward slash 37 and forward slash 38. If you love this short insightful clip from a past episode of the show, I think you will enjoy the free book I'm giving away right now. It's called The Many Flavors of Trend Following. And it includes some of my best insights on this, perhaps the most dependable and consistent yet often overlooked investment strategy. And you can get it for free right now at toptradersonplug.com forward slash book and start your own investment journey today. So just head over to toptradersonplug.com forward slash book and make sure to subscribe to the podcast or YouTube channel where I'll be back next week with more exciting and engaging conversations. Until next time, take care.